You may not know this, but there are many holidays that the church celebrates. Obviously, Easter is a, is a big one, Christmas, of, of course, and there are other holidays as well that I think that are important. Um, this particular Sunday hasn't made it on a national holiday list, but it is absolutely powerful. This particular day birthed the church, and it's called the Day of Pentecost. 50 days after the crucifixion of Jesus, the Holy Spirit came, filled God's people, 120 believers waiting in the upper room of a house, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and there was the birth of the church. Peter preached the message, and thousands were added that day. And what's interesting about the day of Pentecost is it couldn't come at a more profound time. During that time, God's people were actually dealing with injustice and oppression from the Roman Empire. Matter of fact, before the Holy Spirit fell, the disciples, it says in, in Acts chapter 1, kept on asking Jesus, when are you going to restore the kingdom? Now, they, they were not talking about the kingdom of heaven. They were talking about an earthly kingdom. When are you going to free us for, from the oppression of the Roman Empire, and Jesus said, that is not for me to know, only the Father knows, and then gave them an interesting solution to their, their, their problem. He gave them an interesting answer to their question. He said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, to wait, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. I, I want to share a quick thought before we pray called divine privilege divine privilege. You know, they were actually dealing with a situation where Romans were, were privileged. Romans were privileged more than they were. And so they were asking Jesus, hey, when are you going to come and restore the kingdom? We are dealing with Roman privilege and we are oppressed. They have privilege. We are oppressed. And I love that Jesus' answer to Roman privilege was the power of the Holy Spirit. His answer to privilege was power. He said, yes, there's a Roman privilege, but if you wait and you pray, I'm going to give you a divine privilege that surpasses Roman privilege. And if you know the history of the church, this divine privilege, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, was so profound, so influential, that Roman privileged people actually wanted the divine privilege from the church. I want to say that again, that Roman privileged people actually wanted the divine privilege from the church. What is that divine privilege? The indwelling of the Holy Spirit. I wonder if you've ever had this conversation with yourself where you're like, man, if I could participate, I would have loved to be there when Moses parted the Red Sea. But the Bible would suggest that Moses would love to be you. Moses would ask you questions. You might ask Moses questions. What would it like to part the Red Sea, to raise your staff and see God move in that way? And you know what the Bible would suggest that Moses would ask you? What is it like to have the privilege of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit on the inside of you? Because we only ever had the Holy Spirit come upon us. We've never had the Holy Spirit live in us because Jesus had not came, died resurrected so that the Holy Spirit could be given to the church. You know, all over Instagram with this racial injustice and here in my heart, there's a lot of conversation about white privilege. And under the constructs of our nation, is that true? I want to submit to you that, that it is. But I also want to submit to you on Pentecost Sunday that Jesus would suggest to you and I the, the, the answer 
to white privilege is not attacking our white brothers and sisters and making them give anything up. The answer to white privilege is divine privilege. It is that we have a divine privilege to have the Holy Spirit living on the inside of us. You know, this week I felt a lot of anger and sadness and frustration, and today I still do. But honestly, what it has switched to, it is, it's switched to me being able to walk in divine privilege. I am so proud to be a black man. Here's what's awesome. What's awesome is that God accepts me because of my faith in Jesus. And, and while I may not be able to go everywhere in our nation, I can go into the presence of God and God accepts me. He fills me with his Holy Spirit. He gives me power to lay hands on the sick and preach the gospel church. We have a divine privilege. I have had some amazing white brothers and sisters who've called me this week and said, what do I do with my white privilege? And I think in many of those situations, I've given them the wrong answer. Because the reality is, what I should be saying to them is there's a greater privilege. It's called divine privilege, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And this was actually so powerful. Jesus said in Acts chapter 1-8, when he would give them this divine privilege of having the Holy Spirit, he says, and then you'll be my witnesses going to Jerusalem, the people who look like you, Judea, they still look like you, but they live around the corner. And then Samaria, uh-oh, what was Samaria? Samaria was the places that had mixed races with, with other pagan countries. And, and Jewish people, there was a lot of racial tension, if you will, between the Samaritans and the Jews. And so here's what Jesus said. I'm going to give you power of the Holy Spirit, and, and it's going to dwell within you, but it's not going to start with them. You're not ready to, to deal with the people who don't look like you. The power of the Holy Spirit is going to lead you to be witnesses to Jerusalem. And then you're going to go to Judea. And then as the gospel spreads, I'm going to use you to go to the people that don't look like you. And he said, when that happens, after that, you're going to go to the ends of the earth. Church, God has called us to go to the ends of the earth. I'm believing you're going to go to the ends of the earth in your calling. I believe that your purpose is going to take you to the ends of the earth. But we got to start with us. We got to start with Jerusalem. We got to start with Judea. And then we got to start with the people who don't look like us, whoever your Samaritan may be. The reality is, if we're honest, we all have a Samaritan. We all have someone who we are more privileged. We are walking in more privilege than them. But the answer to any privilege that is accessible in our nation or throughout the world, the answer is divine privilege. I want to submit to you is the greatest privilege a church has, has is the divine privilege of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Because if it's not, then it can make us crave other privileges that compared to knowing Jesus, compared to having the Holy Spirit on the inside of us, are no privilege at all. Matter of fact, Paul said, I consider everything I've ever gained in life, nothing compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ our Lord. This divine privilege is so powerful, it broke racial tension in the church. I want you to turn your Bible to Acts chapter 10. It is uh, an impressive verse. The Bible says in verse one in Acts chapter 10 in Caesarea, there lived a Roman army officer named Cornelius, who was a captain of the Italian regiment. Verse two says he was a devout God fearing man, as was everyone in his household. 
He gave generously to the poor and prayed regularly to God. Verse three says one afternoon, about three o'clock, he had a vision in which he saw an angel of God coming toward him. Cornelius, the angel said, Cornelius stared at him in terror. What is it, sir? He asked the angel and the angel replied, your prayers and gifts to the poor have been received by God as an offering. Now send some men to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. And he is uh, he is staying with Simon, a tanner who lives near the seashore. I, 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 I forgot to look up what a tanner is. It's definitely not a tanning salon, but I don't know what a tanner is. Look it up, put it in the chat. So when I'm watching, um, I can see it. But um, it, it says after that, the next day, we're going to pick up in verse nine. The next day, as Cornelius messengers were nearing the town, Peter went up on the flat roof to pray. It was about noon and he was hungry. But while a meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw the sky open. Think about this. Before Jesus saw his ministry, started his ministry, it tells us in Luke, in the book of Luke, that the heavens opened and God spoke to Jesus and said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And after the heavens opened, after the sky opened, Jesus began his ministry. And we don't see another moment like that in scripture, I believe until this moment, where once again, the heavens open to deal with Peter's issues with race. If we're going to deal with race in this country, we have to deal with race under an open heaven. And I want to prophesy over you right now, no matter what is happening in our nation, I feel so strongly in my spirit. There is a open heaven over Los Angeles and there's an open heaven over this nation. And the Bible says, if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves, turn from their wicked ways and pray, then I would hear from the open heaven and heal their land an open heaven, an open heaven. He saw the sky open and something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners in the sheet were all sorts of animals, reptiles and birds. And then a voice said to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat them. No, Lord, I'm not doing it. Not going to happen. Peter declared, I have never eaten anything that our Jewish laws. They weren't the God, the, 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 the laws of God. They weren't the Ten Commandments, the Jewish laws, the cultural Context. He says, I've never done anything against our cultural context. Our Jewish laws have declared impure and unclean. But the voice spoke again. I, I think we've been hearing a lot in our nation that we need to speak up and we do. But we need to speak up again and again and again. I love when heaven is trying to get something done. It never says it once. It says it again and again. But the voice spoke again. Do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. The same vision was repeated three times. And then the sheet was suddenly pulled up to heaven. Peter was very perplexed. What could the vision mean? Just then the men sent by Cornelius found Simon's house standing outside the gate. They asked if Simon Peter was staying there. The Bible begins to tell us that Peter um, was taken by the, the messengers Cornelius sent and Peter went to Cornelius house. I love this picture because what you don't know about this passage of scripture, what Peter was saying, the reason why God had to give him a vision is because uh, Cornelius was a Gentile. That was anyone who wasn't Jewish. And obviously Peter was Jewish and the Jewish law, not God's law, had said that Peter was not allowed to associate or hang out with a Gentile. And the Bible says 
I find it so interesting that Cornelius didn't go to Peter. Peter went to Cornelius. Church, I really believe we need to go to the places where injustice is happening. We need to go to the places where the hopeless, hopelessness is, is running wild and we need to bring hope and we need to bring help. God sent Peter over to him. And the Bible says in verse 24 that Peter and Cornelius messengers arrived in Caesarea the following day. Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends, probably people that look like him. And verse 25 says, as Peter entered his house, Cornelius fell at his feet and worshiped him. But Peter pulled him up and said, stand up. I'm a human being like you. When I first read this verse, I, I thought to myself, man, Peter thought he was better than Cornelius, which maybe he did. But it sent chills through my bones to realize that when Peter showed up to Cornelius' house, Cornelius bowed to Peter and worshiped Peter. No, it wasn't just that Peter thought he was better than Cornelius. Cornelius thought that Peter was better than him. And this is what happens. This is what racism does. This is what focusing so much on color and race does. And here, my heart, we need to speak out against racism. But what absolutely eliminates privilege is not just Peter in that verse is not just Peter understanding that he is no better than Cornelius, but Cornelius understanding that Peter is no better than him. And in that moment, I believe they were encountering the beginning of what I believe our church needs to encounter is divine privilege, the most supreme privilege that there really is. Listen to verse 28. You know, it is against our laws for a Jewish man to enter a Gentile home like this or to associate with you. But God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. So I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. Now, now tell me why you sent for me. Here are two people with racial walls between them and God has brought them together. And, and I want you to write this down. This is so important. The battle against racism should build a bridge for unity. The battle against racism should build a bridge for unity. Not just unity with black people. I believe black African-Americans need a movement of unity in their communities and culture, but a unity between people of all colors. Remember Martin Luther King's dream that people of every color, he said that the sons of the slave masters and the sons of the slaves would sit down at the table of brotherhood. The vision is, is unity in the church, especially it's got to start with us. The battle against racism should build a bridge for unity. He said, you know, it's against our customs for us to hang out. You know, we've done a great job of desegregating our churches. I'm glad we go to a diverse church. It's empty now, but I just wanted to come here because I honestly, I miss it. And I wanted to speak to you from the place that so many different people of different colors and cultures have gathered. And I, I want you to never take it again. I know we'll be able to gather sometime in the near future, but I want you to never take it for granted again that you got to sit next to people who didn't look like you and worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And, and I came here to remember 
what that was like and preach to you that it wasn't always that way in the church because Peter, now watch this, Peter, who God ordained to be the leader of the church, said a sentence to someone who didn't look like him. My custom says, I shouldn't associate with you. That is a tough verse, church. Why would God allow someone to lead a church that did not understand race relations? Because God knew he would give him the revelation of what he had called him to do. And God knew that he would use Peter. The fight against racism in that culture would build a bridge to unity. And, and the Bible says that Peter said, tell me why you have sent for me. And it says that Cornelius begins to tell Peter the vision that God gave him and that God gave him a vision that there'd be a man that would come and, and share God's word with him. And Cornelius began to tell Peter that you are that man. Can you imagine someone who is being basically oppressed or not accepted by this person wanting to hear the word of God from that very same person? It's just such profound humility. And so in verse 33, Cornelius says, so I sent for you at once and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here waiting before God to hear the message the Lord has given you. And Peter replied in verse 34, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. That word favoritism in the Greek means that God is not a respecter of persons, but watch this. He's not accepting of faces. No favoritism means God is not accepting of faces. That is profound. Remember in Exodus 33, when God when Moses told God, God, if I have found favor in your sight, will you show me your glory? And God made Moses turn his back because God would not reveal his presence while Moses' face was looking at him. Can I tell you something that's encouraging? God does not see color, but you are not God and you do. The only thing that can make us move past this season is God does not see color. The indwelling Holy Spirit does not see color. And this is what Peter encountered, a God that shows no favoritism, a God that is not accepting of faces. You don't get in with God because you have white skin. You don't get in with God because you have black skin. You don't get in with God because you have brown skin. You get in with God with a repentant heart and a faith in Jesus. God is not a respecter of persons. And so he says, in every nation, he accepts those who fear him. Peter began to preach the message of, of hope, the message of Jesus coming to save all humanity. He preached the message of Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. And the Bible says in verse 44, even as Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. The Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. And Peter at that moment, realized the privilege he had by being his race wasn't a privilege at all. And Cornelius may have realized the privilege he wanted. Remember, he bowed and worshiped Peter. The privilege that Peter had that maybe Cornelius wanted so bad was not a privilege at all. The real privilege was not racial privilege. It was divine privilege. Here is what I'm asking us to think about as a church on Pentecost Sunday. What if we have missed the truest, greatest privilege of all, the divine privilege for the Holy Spirit to dwell 
on each of us with different colors on, of skin and unite us together as a family? What if God wants us to open up our doors when we no longer take that for granted that we have the same Holy Spirit? You know, with all the uh, racial tension in this nation, I know you might be thinking, well, well, what do we do? What do we do? Well, first of all, we love. I believe racism is at its most damaging point when we are acutely aware of who hates us and not aware enough of who loves us. I have a different vantage point from racism because I have actually received sacrificial love from a white person, and for that I'm so grateful. My pastors are white, and they believed in me. My stepmother is white, and, and she has loved me. My wife is white, and we are one. And that does not make me less than as a black man. I just really believe this is the work that the Lord has done in my heart and in my family. So first and foremost, we love. The second thing, if you're asking practical things, what to do, I believe we've already begun the answer, and it's a tough word that maybe you don't want to hear, but it's called gentrification. All over the place that people with wealth gentrify impoverished neighborhoods, meaning that they tear down properties, build up new ones that are way more expensive, driving out the people of color and the poor people out of that community and moving in people with more wealth. I believe that it, that is a game plan for the church, but not to gentrify a neighborhood with apartment buildings, but to spiritually gentrify our impoverished communities. Oasis Church, we will be going into these communities and spiritually gentrifying them by serving them, loving them, giving them hope, and providing resources. Where did we get this concept? The Bible. If you notice, Jesus was on the earth for 33 years before the church started, before the Holy Spirit fell. It was 33 years. And what did Jesus do 33 years? He spiritually gentrified the community. He brought hope and healing and provision and miracles. So by the time he launched the church, the neighborhood was ready. John chapter one says that Jesus, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We got to make our dwelling as a church with the poorest of the poorest, the broken of the broken and the hurting of the hurting. And the third thing we must do as a church, we must set aside every privilege for the divine privilege to have and be led by the Spirit of God. We cannot let our anger lead us. We cannot let our emotions lead us. Those emotions and those angers are valid. You have a right to be mad. But the Bible says that by faith in Jesus, you have the right to live as children of God, to walk in divine privilege. And then it even says in 1 Peter that together, walking in divine privilege, we are a royal priesthood and a holy nation. Father, I thank you so much. Right now, I feel so strongly you are calling your church into divine privilege on the day of Pentecost, where we set aside even some of the privileges that this nation or this country or having money affords us. And we walk in the greatest privilege there is, the privilege that makes all other privileges nothing at all. And that is the divine privilege of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So Father, in Jesus' name, fill your people with your Holy Spirit. Give them wisdom, give them peace, give them direction. And I really believe, just as your word says, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Church, hey, there's gonna be a couple of honestly tough questions that are gonna pop up on the screen. Make sure you watch them, you stay tuned. I really believe you're gonna hear from God. And this is just the beginning. Matter of fact, if you're African-American, call someone that doesn't look like you and tell them, hey, we're in this together. I love you. And if you're white, call someone that doesn't look like you and tell them we're in this together. No matter what color you are, hit somebody up. 
that doesn't look like you and tell them from our church we're in this together and that you love them. Love you so much and I'll see you soon.